on the, uh, on the rare occasion, I enjoy putting together a good puzzle. Anybody, anybody a, a big puzzler? Uh, is that, I don't know what you call people who put together puzzles. Is there, is there a term for that? I don't know. I want to learn something new. Is there a puzzle list? Uh, something? I don't know. Puzzled? Uh, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what it is. But on the, on the rare occasion, yesterday I put together a puzzle. Uh, it's a very specific brand and type. Uh, it's called uh, Toilet. And uh, so I put together that puzzle yesterday in our kids' bathroom. That was fun. Uh, no, but seriously, I, I enjoy a good puzzle. I don't matter. It doesn't matter to me how big or how small it is or how confusing or, you know, all the details and that kind of thing. But there's something I, I think uh, that's characteristics of, characteristic of all puzzles that we don't talk about very often. And I think we should talk about it more. Puzzles are very restrictive. Have you noticed that? Like they only show one picture pieces are all shaped in one particular way. It can only be put together in one way. I mean, you can't, it, have, you, have you noticed that about puzzles? I mean, there are maybe not a whole lot of puzzlers in here, I guess. But you can't, you can't choose your own picture with a puzzle. It's, it, you know, it's, it's all big puzzle manufacturing. I don't, I don't know if you've noticed that. And I feel like we should start a movement here and that we should do something about big puzzle. Uh, because you can only put it together the way they want you to put it put it together. I don't know if you ever noticed that about puzzles. Um, it's very frustrating to me. I think about this a lot. Actually, I don't, I don't at all. Uh, I, don't, I really don't care that much about puzzles. But, but it does seem to me that a lot of people in life uh, treat life like a puzzle. And there are a couple different ways that you can treat a puzzle. One is you can take the puzzle, take it out of the box, put it together, and, and have this cool looking picture. And sometimes you can even frame it if it, if it looks really, really nice. Uh, sometimes you get this really big sense of accomplishment when you put a good, like, 5,000-piece puzzle. Is that a thing? I don't know. 1,000-piece? You know, yeah, there, I know, yeah there, there are. There's this one company that makes, uh, I found this out this week, that makes $8,000 puzzles. Did you know, know about this? I certainly didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, there's this great sense of accomplishment when you finally put one together, and I think it's great. So, so we can handle it that way. The other way is just to be, it just to be ticked at the puzzle. You ever get ticked at a puzzle? Uh, especially when the pieces aren't cut, you know, perfectly. They don't fit together the way that you think they should. Or when you get to the end and there's one, pu- we did a puzzle a few years ago, and, and there, the last piece wasn't there. Just one piece. And for somebody who likes to complete things like that, I still think about that to this day. But I don't, I don't care about puzzles that much. Um, or, or we just not bother, right? Why, why put yourself through that? Why deal with puzzles in that way? Uh, it seems like po- folks you know, kind of fall into one of these three categories when it comes to life. If you, you're not really sure what life is going to be. Maybe you're puzzled by life. You don't have a, the grand picture of what your life is going to look like or what's, what, what it's going to be. And people generally fall into three categories. You take life for what it is and do your best to put it together the way that it's meant to be. You take life and force it into whatever configuration seems good to you at the time, you know, however you feel like you want to put things together, or maybe you just do your best to try to be an exception to the way that life works, or you choose not to really participate. I think, generally speaking, all of us fall into one of those three categories. Most people, I think, tend to fall naturally into the second category. We just kind of try to put things together the way that we feel like we should in the moment, and then invariably we look back several years later and like, why did we do that? You know, why did I do it that way? We can leave the puzzle in the box, we can force our own picture, we can work on it piece by piece. Um, And in a way, I feel like as we read through the book of Genesis, Moses is kind of painting a picture for us. He's putting some pieces together for us to understand the character and nature of God and how he created us 
to experience life. And the covenant promises that, we, that we've been talking about over the last few weeks that he makes with humanity about what that life should look like puts all the pieces together exactly in the way that he means for us to experience it. Now, maybe uh, for you, like this, the, the picture is not becoming clear yet. You're not really sure. Well, that's okay because it doesn't really matter if you can see the picture or not. Because God is the one who created. He is the one who has everything in his hands. He is the one who spoke everything to being. And he knows. He knows what it's supposed to look like by the end. If you're like me, you only see into the future but so far. And you're probably not nearly as right as often as you might like to think. I'm you know, seldom ever wrong. My family can attest to that. They can provide. <laughs> Actually, no, never mind. Don't, don't ask them what they think. Uh, maybe you have thought along your life, you've had a clear picture of how you things how things should go and how things are going to be when you get to this point in your life. I don't know if maybe, maybe for you, your life looks exactly the way that you think it should go at this moment. Maybe you're finding yourself picking up some pieces uh, right now. Uh, maybe, maybe you feel like you've got a pretty good handle on, on things. Our lives are all made up by a series of choices that we make, but all of those choices are set within given parameters. There's a limit to what we can say and think and do. And not everybody chooses to live understanding that that exists. Now, l- let me give you an example. I would love, for example, to be able to fly. And I, don't, I mean, like, just get up and fly. I think that would be amazing. I think it would be a cool power to have. Uh, there's been a long period of time in my life, at, younger, when I was younger, you know, where I thought it would be amazing to have the powers of, of Spider-Man. Uh, because you could kind of fit in, I think, and use his powers um, without people really knowing so, so, like, I would jump higher when I played volleyball, you know, that kind of thing, and super reflexes and that, you know, on the basketball court, like, I would be that much more amazing because I would have spidey sense and I could tell where the passes were going to go. You know, but, uh, but I feel like you could kind of get away with it without people. If you're Superman, you know, lasers come out of your eyes. It's a little obvious, you know, but you could, you could kind of get away with that. Uh, but none of that is happening. I, it hasn't happened yet. I've, you know, don't like spiders biting me. Um, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for me to waste my life away wishing for things like that to be the case. But when we miss out on the worldview that's being built for us in Genesis, for us to see the character and nature of God as it's revealed through the lives of humanity, when we kind of want life to just be the way that we want it to be and kind of ignore how God has created things, that's kind of what we do. We kind of pine our life away wishing for something different. And yet maybe if, if we give a little bit more attention to the Creator we come to understand that he's, he's putting something together far greater than we could ever come up with ourselves. We're, we aren't going to see right now how it all fits together just yet. We'll have to wait until all the pieces are in place. One thing is made clear through the lives of those who are highlighted throughout the Bible is that God's supreme authority over everything assures that however we approach life, his desire is to lead humanity to himself, and he will accomplish this. We read and what we read and gather from the lives of the men and women, both good and ba- bad in the Bible, are meant to give us a better understanding and application of where our choices and free will play a part in God's direction for our life. And there's a great example of that in Genesis chapter 25 through 37, through the lives of two brothers, two twins, two fraternal tr- twins named Jacob and Esau. This is a continuation of the family line of Abraham, who we talked about uh, last week. Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac was the son of promise. And uh, like father, like son, uh, 
Isaac receives the same covenant promises Abraham. He actually uh, kind of follows in uh, with some of the same family traditions that Abraham too. He tries to pass his wife off as a sister, you know, because you remember that from last week because she was really attractive. Again, this like really bizarre, maybe romantic gesture. Hunting, you're so beautiful that somebody else might kill me for you. You know, (laughs) it's just just bizarre behavior. Um, But God gives Isaac direction on where to be, what to do, and he does ultimately follow through with that. And, and the way that that's followed through, sometimes it's not necessarily about what you do in your life, but it's about who you raise uh, and who you influence and impact in your life. Isaac is blessed with his wife, Rebecca, and has a set of fraternal twins named Jacob and Esau. And Esau was the oldest. This is important to know, even though they're twins. Uh, but Jacob was a close second. He was holding on to his brother's heel, and that's how he got his name, Jacob. And Jacob and Esau couldn't have been more different from each other. They were different, certainly externally. Esau was a hairy outdoorsman uh, that lived in the moment, to put it nicely. He was ruled primarily by his emotions. Uh, Jacob was more of a mama's boy. He stayed closer to home. Nothing wrong with that. Stayed closer to home, more interested in domestication than the wild. And he was, uh, I guess you could say he's calculating. Uh, he, He thought ahead. Esau did not. And this made all the difference in the trajectory of their lives. They each regularly came to crossroads in their lives. And again, there's a lot of text here, Genesis 25 through 37. Hopefully you're reading through the text on your own. We're not going to cover every single aspect of their lives. But they regularly come to crossroads. And Esau, every time, chose emotionally. Jacob most often chose cunningly. Uh, Both were influenced by their personalities and their circumstances and their feelings. But both also had a choice of whether or not to base their life on the parameters God created for their lives or their own parameters. And that was the difference between Jacob and Esau. Esau chose for himself every time. Jacob allowed himself to be taught and directed and chose to put his life and his faith in God versus himself. Inasmuch as any one of us can make choices of what to do with our lives, God makes the ultimate choice of what to do with life and with us. And when it comes to Jacob and Esau, there's two choices, there's two paths that we can take where we can either work on our life the way that God calls us to, or we can do our thing and miss out what he created us for. And what was a complete break from normative practice, God actually chose to make Jacob, the younger brother, the heir and the patriarch through which the 12 tribes of Israel would be born. Uh, Paul, and I know, I know I'm skipping around a little bit. There's some history here, though, that's important for us to understand in context. Paul actually uses this as an example to show how God's sovereignty, his choice of how to interact and be a part of life from the beginning shows that he is the one who chooses who his grace and mercy are for. Ultimately, Paul is using it as an example to teach the Israelites that Jesus isn't just for them, but that it's for the entire world. In Romans chapter 9, verses 11 through 16, this is what he says. Before the twins were born, this is talking about Jacob and Esau, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Um, Jacob I chose, but Esau I rejected, is is the way contextually um, that that is written. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It is not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Um, At this point, 
you know, there are a lot of people in life that would look at this and say, and it sounds super restrictive. Like, it sounds like there's only one picture, there's only one way the pieces go together. It sounds like I don't really have a whole lot to do with this. Maybe it doesn't really matter what I do. God's going to do what he's going to do no matter what. This couldn't be further from the truth, though. Instead, because God's power and authority cannot be undermined, he desires for us to choose to be with him and part of and take on the responsibilities in the kingdom of God for which we've all been created. Jacob and Esau represent the choice we all have to either follow God's sovereignty or dismiss it. Either way, God's desire for all of humanity to be, humanity to be able to be welcomed into the family of God will not be undone. Romans 9, verse 22 uh, and following, this is, this is kind of filling out the context from talking about Jacob and Esau's story in Romans chapter 9 from Paul. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. In other words, the grand story of all things as we move from Genesis all the way through to Revelation is that God wants to redeem all of humanity back to himself. And we have a choice of whether or not we participate that, in that. And Jacob and Esau represent the two roads diverging in the woods and the path that we choose to follow. The time we spend pining away, wishing for something different, or how we think about what's fair in life, the way comparison and jealousy, or lack of contentment, whatever you know, peace we're puzzling over in our life we feel is missing. However we think God should have done things differently in our lives, even if we think we deserve something different, or even if we actually do deserve something different, we have a choice of whether or not to be faithful with the life and the position that we find ourselves in, that we've been given to either be a testimony to who God is and what he's doing that lasts, or as a testimony to ourselves and all that withers and fades. Esau, Esau gives us a picture of the latter. This is from Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. This is why he was also called Edom. Uh, Esau and uh, the red stew and Edom, like all are a play on the word red, basically. So Esau, you know, kind of had a nickname. He's Big Red. You can think of him as Big Red, all right? Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. If I had a dollar for every time my kids were like, I'm starving, I'm about to, you know, this, this is what Esau sounds like. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. Um, a couple of things that maybe don't seem relatable to, to the story. One is we don't really talk about a birthright. It's not something that's kind of a part of our culture. Uh, the other is to me, especially as an older brother reading the story early on, I just thought Jacob was a jerk. Um, like, do, just give him some stew. I mean, he's hungry. Like he went out hunting. He wasn't successful. He doesn't have any food to eat. Just, just, just give him something to eat. And, and Jacob is kind of a jerk here. Uh, like, let's not take that away. You guys know yeah, older siblings in here? Younger and younger sibling always gets us in trouble all the time. We always get in trouble for what they do. We're always held responsible for their foolish 
How many, how many younger siblings do we have in here? Ooh, okay, all right. So uh, support group for older siblings right after service in the lobby. Um, uh, and Jacob is, he's cunning, he, uh, he, he is kind of a jerk, um, and, and a couple, couple chapters later, he even pretends to be his brother to his blind father who's coming to the end of his life and wants to, wants to bless, and he dresses up like his brother, uh, you know, because his mom told him to, and uh, came in and stole his birthright, <laughs> uh, stole his blessing after being sold his, his birthright. Um, all kinds of, man, it's amazing the type of people that God chooses to use, um, in, in, in his story of redeeming humanity to himself. Um, but the truth is, the, the truth is, even of all the things, the wrong things that Jacob may have done, that Esau giving up his birthright for a bowl of stew um, hits maybe a little bit closer to home and how most of us have lived our lives at some point down the road than maybe we'd be comfortable admitting. Because there are plenty of times, all of us have fallen short, there are plenty of times where we've kind of given up what God has for us in the moment, uh, for what we want right then, what we think is going to be the solution that we should pursue and, and move forward. And, and really what ends up happening is we're giving up what God actually wants for us. As ridiculous as Jacob was being for not giving his brother a bowl of stew when he was hungry, it's even more absurd that Esau would trade his birthright for it. Uh, birthright, like I said, is not something that we have in our culture. But in this context, it was, um, it was pretty important. Uh, to say it uh, understatedly, it was reserved for the firstborn son of the family and included an inheritance that was double uh, all the other kids' inheritance and anything else the family received. Uh, second thing is, you became the family head. As in, you became the patriarch. So you came, became responsible for all of the family's resources, all of the things that they had uh, collected together uh, communally, um, everything regarding relationships and who gets what, you get to make that call. And third, you receive a blessing from God given through the Father that was devoted to you as the firstborn and, and the role and position that you're going to play in your life. This was a serious and weighty responsibility and directly affected the legacy of the recipient, both the recipient and the family that's being represented. And so when Esau, like, he's not just hungry and he's like giving away this thing that doesn't really, it's this ethereal, you know, idea, you know, the birthright, you know, in the firstborn position. It was, it was actually real tangible things that he was putting to the side and saying, these things don't matter at all. What really matters right now is my appetite. And if we're not careful, when it comes to how God is moving in our lives and the choices that we make, if we're not careful, our appetites are what are going to, going to, define our legacy or our future. Whatever those things are, I mean, we can talk about food, we can talk about drink, we can talk about work, we can talk about sex, we can talk about entertainment, we can talk about all kinds of things, relationships. When left unchecked, our appetites for those things lie to us. We convince ourselves that we'll receive satisfaction if we can only have what we want, if only our wishes could be fulfilled. But we know better deep down inside Anybody who's ever had buyer's remorse can attest to that. You ever buy a thing and regretted buy something and regretted immediately. Um, if you haven't, then maybe you have a bigger problem than you know. Uh, anyone who has morally compromised themselves for instant gratification can recall the guilt and the shame that follows that. I'm sure that Esau didn't plan to be in this predicament. You know, he went out hunting. He thought he was going to get something. He's he's a good hunter, I guess. But how many decisions, you know, you didn't plan for that, but how many decisions do we make each day that are a result of our poor planning? 
and our, and our not understanding the context of who God is and who he has called us to be. You might be enslaved to your appetites if you find yourself in situations where you don't have a choice because you do, because God gives you one, and he calls us to, him, to use those choices to follow the life that he has given and created for us. When we're ruled by our appetites, we exchange our future lives for present gratification. And this happens over and over in Esau's life. It completely takes him out for who God had called him to be. He sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Um, one of the reasons that I think Rebecca helps Jacob um, uh, rob Esau's blessing um, and pretend to be Esau for his, uh, for his father is because the women that Esau uh, married... Um, yes, women, I said, because uh, that's always a good decision. You know, I mean, Rebecca says, you, you keep reading the text, just, these, these women are making life bitter for me. You know, it, it's just clear the pattern of Esau's life is he just didn't really care about the impact that he was having on the people around us or what trajectory his life was headed in. He was just going to do what he wanted to do in the moment. We all leave a legacy behind. We all leave, leave something behind us. And while it may not seem like it some days, we all have a choice as to what that will be. And those choices are found in the day-to-day -day living of our lives. It's the daily choices and decisions and compromises that we make that come to shape our participation in the will of God and what he desires for all of us. Jacob went about things very differently. Um, in Genesis chapter 28, after even all of this has happened, all the craziness, the selling of the birthright, the, the robbing of the blessing, you know, Jacob, his trajectory, what ultimately he was looking for in life was directed toward God, even though he wasn't perfect. In Genesis chapter 28, Isaac calls for Jacob and he blesses him. Um, he, he says, uh, he commands him in Genesis chapter 28 verse 1, do not marry a Canaanite woman. In, in other words, be the opposite of your brother Esau. Go at once to Paden Aram to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way. He went just like we talked about um, Abraham, he went where God called him to go, to Paden Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. You keep reading through the text, there's a lot of great things that happen there. The greatest love story, I think, in the Bible, where uh, Jacob comes, he falls deeply in love with Rachel, he gets married to Rachel, wakes up the next morning, he's with, not Rachel, <laughs> He's with her older sister, Leah. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I cannot imagine. Um, just wild, wild things. Uh, Jacob had worked seven years, you know, to, to be married to Rachel, and that is not what happened. Um, so after a week, though, uh, Laban was like, it's cool, it's fine, just go with it. And then after a week, uh, you can marry Rachel and then work for me for another, another, seven, another seven years. Um, so there you go, one of the great love stories in, in the Bible. Uh, not normal stuff, uh, nor was it supposed to be, but choices were made uh, in how to shove the puzzle pieces together. After all of this, Jacob, uh, Jacob works. He becomes very wealthy, develops a large 
family and flock or is developing all of those kinds of things um, and decides that it's about time for him to make his way back home. Esau, at, at this time, like he wanted to kill Jacob. One of the reasons that Isaac had sent him away is because he knew Esau was going to kill him the next time he saw him. At this point, Esau had developed his own family. He had his own wealth. He had all of those kinds of things. He had his own people. Esau's anger had subsided uh, now that he had a group of his own. And Jacob comes back, and they have a reconciliation of sorts. There's one important place that as Jacob was going and he was coming, uh, that he found himself uh, in a couple different times, and this place was called Bethel. Uh, God tells Jacob to make his home there. This is the place where Jacob vows to follow God after God promises to watch over him. Um, this is the place where Jacob later on wrestles with God. And uh, Jacob, at this point in time, he's followed God. He returns back from Paden Aram. This is in Genesis chapter 35, verse 9. God appears to him again and bless him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. Again, this is after Jacob had shown himself to be faithful to who God was calling him to be. And God said to him, I'm God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to your Abraham and Isaac I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. And Jacob set up a stone pil pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. Sometimes I think we take life and we make it way more complicated than God means for it to be. All, all, he's, all he's asking for and all he's looking for and all he's calling for us, uh, for us to do in these moments that Jacob finds himself, that Esau finds himself as the you know, other side of the coin, uh, the opposite of what we're called to do, is he's looking for faithfulness and obedience in this moment. And the pieces are going to be put into place. God has the picture ready to go. He wants to bring us to the point where he can affirm the way that he desires to bless us, you know, the, who he has created us to be. And this Jacob gets to this point where his identity is now being shifted and changed by God because he's been obedient to where God has called him and what he's called him to do. There haven't been any small choices in his life. And yes, he's messed plenty of them up. And he's, he's done, gone about them plenty in the wrong way. But over time... Over and over again, God leads Jacob to where he wants to go, and Jacob ultimately follows, and he goes. Jacob went from being a heel, uh, a play on his name, to the one who strives with God, you know, the one who wrestles with and holds on to what God wants him to do. He didn't really know what was going on in his life, especially when God shows up to wrestle, uh, wrestle with him. There's a theophany experience that Jacob has, but he holds on to dear life. And, and sometimes life, you know, it's puzzling and we wrestle with those things, but what God would rather have us do is, is wrestle and hold on to him and what he's doing. Instead of us trying to figure out on our own, it's like, what is this going to look like? I keep trying to shove these things uh, together and it's just not working, it's not connecting. God wants to do that for us if we're willing to trust and faith and obedience with him. It doesn't matter if we can see the whole picture because God will make sure the pieces get to the right place. Just because we don't see what's happening, it doesn't mean that God hasn't already been at work. Um, I, uh, there's a story um, of a uh, uh, delivery driver and um, 
for a year, for a year, a woman prayed for him to find a church for, for a year. And after that year, uh, this delivery driver uh, came to this woman and said, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I'm getting baptized this next Sunday. The reason I know about the story is because my best friend, who's a preacher in Mechanicsville, called me up to tell me about it because he was baptizing the guy. And the reason he called me up to tell me about it is because my mom was the one who had been praying for that guy for a year. Now, independent of each other, no, nobody like had a clue about how, how these things were happening, what was going on. And I don't know um, where, where my mom works. They do a whole lot of shipping, so there's a lot of interaction. I'm not sure what those interactions look like you know, and, and, and what was going on there, but I know that she had made the commitment to pray for him for a year. And he went to her, this, uh, this kid who's, who's getting, uh, who, who was baptized, and he went to her and he said, hey, I just want to let you know um, I'm being baptized this Sunday. And she said, I, I just want to let you know I've been praying for you for a year. And I don't know that she had given any inclination that she would be doing that at all. And I don't know what, what prompted him to even tell her that thing. And, and how wild it is that happened to be my best friend's church that this guy went to and he uh, started worshiping at and then decided to say yes to Jesus, how long that, that period of time happened. But what I want to tell you is, man, even when you don't understand the connections and even when you can't see the whole picture, God does. And he knows exactly how things are supposed to fit together. And he knows exactly how things are supposed to look in the, in the end. And he knows exactly how, how much of an impact your seemingly small daily interactions and choices and relationships, maybe the, the, just the everyday going about your business, how, how deeply important and powerful those things in are when they're in his hands. There's so many things that we do each and every day that probably don't seem like a whole, uh, like a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But, man, with, with God, um, they can change the eternal trajectory of another human being. Esau kind of went about life and kind of did his own thing. He didn't recognize, like, the impact his life had on other people. He didn't pay attention to it. He just kind of ignored it and just kind of went on and did his own thing. Jacob, uh, he struggled with that too, but he recognized ultimately the responsibility that was placed on his shoulders, who God was calling him to be, and he followed through with it. And he became Israel. He became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, not, not just figuratively, but literally was in that position. And when uh, God introduces himself to Moses, he says, I'm the, you know, God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, think about what Esau, you know, that's, that's how God chose for things to be. But think about how, how different it would have been if Esau had made some different decisions in his life. It might have been, I'm the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And it was just those simple daily choices, decisions to be the person that God has called him to, to be. So what does this look like for us? When in Genesis chapter 28, and this is kind of in the middle of all these crazy things that are happening, uh, Jacob made a vow to God and he said, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taken and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear 
I said, I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let me just say um, that God is moving in your life, moving in ways that you don't even expect and that you, don't, you can't see ahead, you can't see the full picture yet. But if you will honor him and if you will pay attention and you examine, if you would examine your life and you would evaluate and look for the places in which God is doing those things, um, there will be a picture that begins to take shape. One of the things that... Um, that happens through the life of Jacob and his family is that ultimately Jesus comes. Um, and the promise that Jesus has for us is that he's going to bring us back to his father's house. Uh, he, he just wants us to partner with him in bringing others along. Partner with him in the life that he's created for all of humanity uh, to experience. Recognizing God's sovereignty is recognizing their lives and our stuff. Everything that we have are his. And when we choose to give it all to him, the pieces will come together in such a way that even if you can't see the whole picture, you can have faith that life will come out just the way it is supposed to, as it is redeemed and being redeemed by Jesus. Hopefully, as we continue to go through Genesis and we finish up one, one, uh, one last week next Sunday, uh, there's a picture for you that, that's coming sharper into focus and the type of uh, the character and nature and the type of creator that God is and the way that he calls us and the way that he desires to engage with us um, that creates something so much better out of life uh, than we can, what we can when we do it on our own. Let's pray. God, we praise you, we honor you for being sovereign, for being king, uh, for the one who is, who is in control. God, we just ask that you uh, help us to be mindful of the way that your Holy Spirit guides us and leads us, uh, how we uh, come to understand how the decisions uh, that we make in our life, the way that, that we choose to follow you or not follow you, to go off and do our own thing versus be a part of uh, what you are doing how those choices come together and, uh, and play a part in, in who you are and what your will is. God, we thank you for Jesus for um, making it even possible that we are even part of the discussion, that we get to, to be a part of who you are and what you're doing. God, we honor you, we praise you, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.